Shane McEachran. Right now, your boys. So I'm, 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 this is my this is my my sexy voice. <laughs> Hi, this is Richard Williams from the band Kansas, and you are listening to Rock of Nations with Dave and Shane. Uh, yes, welcome in everybody back in the saddle, two saddles, Detroit and Philly. That's right. Brother Shane and Philly. Mm. How you doing, my brother? Good, man. How about yourself? I'm good, man. Just hanging in. You know, we were, um, I mean, just, it, it's been, what a January. It's, it's been so sad. I mean, the date of this recording is the day after, of course, uh, that uh, we lost the great David Crosby. We just talked to him two months ago on this show. It's been very surreal. Mm-hmm. That coming off of Jeff Beck, Lisa Marie Presley, Christine McVie. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know, man. It's why we do this show to try to, preserve this stuff and legacy and talk to anybody we can you know absolutely and and, you know you don't see it coming because you always see these people as as living forever you know it's just part of the territory because they're so iconic but unfortunately that's we're they're all human yeah so here we are and uh yeah we hope you check it out it's it's uh, episode 261 um of the old podcast uh we did it what right at the end of uh, november it was like mid-november something like that yeah 50th anniversary of deja vu and i wonder like does that is that still in your mind at this point like as you move forward i know artists always move forward in their process and writing but you know coming off that that huge anniversary i mean does that still do you still feel that no (laughs) (laughs) no I, i i love the record man i'm really proud of it it's a good record yeah. But I don't think about it at all, you know, and I haven't played it in, in a long time. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think people get stuck when they have a success, you know, when they have like a, a million seller gold platinum record kind of thing. They, mm-hmm. I think they get stuck there sometimes. And I don't think that's healthy for the, the production of more music. I, I, I think, uh, you know, sitting there, you know, listening to yourself over and over again saying, wow, wasn't that cool? And boy, that was a big seller. Isn't yeah. really where I want to go. Where I want to go is, ooh, I never did that before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever feel, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash was a fairly political band. Do you ever see you going back to that and, and, and some of your stuff? Um, do you consider these times to be dangerous times like they were back when you guys, you know, were a trio? I do. I do consider them to be dangerous times. I do think our democracy is under attack. Uh, I think um, that it's a good time to be political. I'm just very careful about how I do it. I write only what I really honest to God believe to be the truth. And uh, and that limits my output. (laughs) (laughs) But I do write, you know, I do write songs about it. uh, And I probably am going to continue. And, you know, David was sick. We we were... uh, we were waiting on the line for him, you know, at one point, and then we got a call that he had to cancel because he wasn't feeling well, and that was back in October. So it had been maybe yeah. a month a month that had gone by between the time we were supposed to talk with him and then uh, the time that we got to reschedule, and and um, just, man, it just hits you. It's a gut punch. It really is. Yeah, mortality is a – it's a heavy thing, and he – I, I, I kind of felt like he uh, he was trying to get as much done as he could why we're still here you know you had more releases coming and it's all in there check it out it's it's but there's another band here kansas 50 years they've been around man 
Yeah, that, and that's what we're celebrating here uh, with the release of Another Fork in the Road, 50 Years of Kansas. And uh, there's the 2022 uh, version of Can I Tell You, which was not right. a big hit with Kansas. But the unique thing is this was the song that uh, got um, uh, you know Don Kirshner. Th this was the song that got the attention of the folks that got Kansas started really amazing. Um, the uh, To commemorate this landmark occasion, uh, current label Inside Out Music are pleased to announce another fork in the road, 50 years of Kansas for release. Uh, now, this came out in December, and uh, we put a little teaser up where he talked about, of course, uh, Rich Williams uh, from Kansas, founding member, played on all the Kansas albums, uh, talked about the making of uh, Dust in the Wind and playing on that. Now, this uh, album so is... Cool. Yeah, yeah. And this album is a <laughs> career-spanning collection. It features carefully selected tracks from across the band's sizable discography and uh it's super super cool uh so yeah man i mean what do you think what were, what were your thoughts talking with uh, rich and just this whole record uh it, it's a really cool record that song's the lead off track it's a it's a two disc set uh covers pretty much the the most most folks favorite period including yours dave you know yeah. that yeah that early 80s stuff um yep. we talked everything about robbie steinhardt his passing to growing up with these guys in high school. Uh, we threw a question to him about possibly opening the uh, Kansas open up the doors. They opened up for the doors when they were a young band, but, but Rich was not with them at the time. That was kind of interesting. There, there was a lot of, uh, um, <clears throat> we talked about white clover, the band before Kansas, um, just a tremendous rich history from a bunch of guys, just like when we talked to Dennis Dunaway, these guys grew up together. <laughs> yeah. They know everything about each other. And uh, 50 years, the legacy, you know, obviously the, some guys left due to different things, uh, born again, Christianity being one of them. Um, but just uh, uh, one of our favorite interviews, really. I can't yeah. wait to share it. Yeah, we covered so much ground, and and uh, just he, he, we talked about everything. Yeah, even the John Elefante years, the kind of the, the change in direction. Everything got very commercial. Uh, the unique period when Carrie Livgren, um, who wrote "Dust in the Wind," uh, came in and and later became uh, a born again Christian. You know, and kind of with him yeah. and Dave Dave Hope, uh, the bassist, and how that really caused some creative tensions. You know, with the rest of the band wanting to do. You know, not to have religion, Christianity be such a focal point, you know, of, of Kansas, you know. Yeah. Um, so what do you say? We uh, jump right into it, huh? I think it's time to roll the tape, Dave. This is a good one. Let's do it. Man, this is, uh, I tell you, Kansas is one of those bands that got, that taught me what progressive rock was, you know. And, and when we heard there was an opportunity to talk with you and to talk with you about another fork in the road, and uh, revisiting uh, some of these great classics, including uh, it starts off with Can I Tell You, which goes right back to the beginning. I thought this is just cannot wait, cannot wait. Um, first, how are you doing and, and how are you feeling with this great release out and uh, taking folks uh, back through 50 years of Kansas? Uh, it's kind of hard to believe, but then it seems like 100 years sometimes, but then... <laughs> It seems like yesterday in other ways, it's just uh, who would have thought Yeah, that uh, by just simply take, giving up every day and taking the next step forward that uh, and through changes, through rec losing record company deals to being told to sit down and, and find someone else to do everything involved in that 50 years of just staying on the hunt, staying on the trail, uh, just following your heart and what you wanted to do. And here we are. It's, uh, it's, uh, remarkable that the, uh, just plain and simple tenacity <laughs> got us here. Yeah. When you, when you look back at the band, Richard, um, yeah, what what means the most to you? Do you have a favorite period of the band through the years? Well, um, it's that's kind of like favorite albums. It's, most of the time, it's the, the recent thing you've actually been working on as far as, you know, be a, a live album or whatever. That's because you've been embedded in that for a while. 
Um, I haven't even had a chance to listen to this one yet, and it's, I just got a copy of it, not you know, a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And so, but I know everything that's on it. It's quite familiar, mm. and and you know, looking at the package, it's since we let the record company kind of carry the ball with this. Um, we, we, what we didn't want to do was recreate another best of. Right. Rather, you know, just, and, you know, Thomas with Inside Out and, and his crew, before we were with him, were Kansas fans. And their proposal was to do it more from a fan standpoint of what would represent the, our career. And uh, I, as I looked through the package, um, and we, they would give us a thought. What do you think about this? And they showed us their thoughts on the cover. And Phil and I would make a change here and there. But to be honest, um, <clears throat> they were really carrying the ball on, on, on this from a fan perspective. And so I kind of look at it. And it's like, wow, this is really cool to see it uh, kind of somewhat taken out of our hands, uh, still with our approval. But um, – I've, I've got sidetracked. What was the original question? <laughs> <laughs> no, just just what, what 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 would you say your favorite period of the band is? But you, you pretty much. Well, about, that. I guess yeah. I was so like I said, your recent album. I my favorite period is really this period. Mm. Um, there's been a, a tremendous resurgence of the band in the last eight years. Oh yeah, and uh, <clears throat> with you know, new material and much more touring. And I love the original band, but that was then. And now um, with the addition of, of Ronnie Platt, his vocals, since uh, there's nothing out of that's off limits. You know, we, any song we all agree we want to perform. It's like, sure, let's do this or let's give it a shot. <clears throat> We're not, uh, bound to anything everybody is really eager to do what we do and it's really fun times this is kind of the the last eight years have been kind of the icing on the cake of a career and we're just having a blast with it all uh we've been we rehearse every single night you know uh before a show mm. for about an hour and a half and everybody just you can't wait to get in there and do that and that's a very refreshing atmosphere to be in because previously we never did that. You know, we'd all kind of wander in and warm up a little bit and go do a show, but uh, to walk out on stage, everybody's warmed up and, you know, familiar, you know, you might've made a mistake the night before or something. You want to go through that and you walk out there with a lot of confidence and you're ready to go. Um, it's just, these are just fantastic times. And so to, now to get to, to go out, me and Phil are still trying to decide what exactly the 50th anniversary tour is going to be, you know, um, what songs we're going to add, et cetera. But it's, a very, it's going to be a very special tour um, for the fans and for us. So it's my, at the end of the day, my favorite time is now. You talk about you and Phil, uh, you guys are the only ones from the the original band. It's amazing. You guys have been there for all this time. What has kept you going in Kansas? You know, times change. People come and go as, as you know, uh, you know, Kansas is seen as every band really sees. Um, what's kept you going and, you know, on every Kansas record, every tour, as far as I can tell all this time? Well, I think it, it goes back to the very beginning. I mean, before, I had a guitar before I was ever in any band. Um, short story. I was remember it was one summer and mu music, live music throughout Kansas was pretty amazing. In those times uh, in the early sixties, you had these 10 piece soul bands that traveled all over the Midwest playing all this great music. And there was something that really fascinated me about you know they all had like school buses and they would there was something about that lifestyle that was I didn't know what it was but I was very curious and laying in bed one night <clears throat> with the windows open 
there was a block party uh, the next block over. And I could hear this band playing. And I wasn't invited to the party. I didn't really know these people. Oh, shit. Did I lose you? Nope, we're here. No, nope, we're oh, here. Oh, I got I got a spam call coming in. Uh, uh, this this band was playing at this block party, and I, I coming through the window, I could hear "Land of a Thousand Dances." This soul band was playing, and I was just it was I, it was my calling. I, it was something I just wanted to know more about and to be a part of. That, um, I didn't understand that at the time, but I understand it now. It's like, this is my calling. The, and not just, I mean, it was all of it. The good times, the bad times, the travel, the experiences, the performing, the, the writing, the recording, all of that came to me in that moment. And so, and it was never about, fame fortune or anything it was just to be a part of a unit that of friends that created a cool sound together and so that's where my mental journey began and i kicked and screamed until my dad let me rent a down electro guitar and a crappy little lamp and it all began uh soon after that phil ehart and i were in our first band together and it, it really the motivation to continue is still that purity of just the love of doing it. And also just, I'm not built to do anything else. This is what I'd love to do. <laughs> I can't imagine me having to get a job. I've, I've escaped um, the real world workplace my entire life. Mm. And Music did that for me, and uh, I am eternally grateful to music and to what Kansas brought to the table to allow me to live my life. Yeah, love it. So that's my motivation today is really still that. I love being with the guys. I love looking, you know, looking in the past is and reflecting is kind of nice, but that's not really what I do as as much as. Today, okay, I've got to do interviews and stuff, and I've got to start practicing a little bit more because in a couple of months we'll be starting again, and and I'm working on a new guitar rig and just all of these things. So I'm always looking at what's what's in front, and what's in front now is the is this anniversary tour, and that's very exciting. So it's as fresh and new and wonderful as it's always been because. Um. Again, it's the intentions are emotional and pure. They're not out of greed or money or fame or any of that. It's just the simple love of doing this. Yeah, you you guys all came up 1968 to Pico, to Pico West uh, grads, um, and uh, you, you lost Robbie um, last summer. Uh, Robbie was kind of known as the voice of Kansas. What? Um, do you remember like your last conversation with Robbie or do you, do you, do you want to talk about Robbie at all? What he was like? Um, <laughs> oh, Robbie was a lot of things. Um, a charming guy. A very interesting, in, interesting conversationalist. Um, an only child who um, was kind of spoiled rotten. Um, Robbie marched to his own drummer every day I ever knew him. He was, if we're taking a photo, he's the one looking the other direction or standing four feet from us all. He was always, by kind of his own choosing, one step aside, a bit of an outsider. He, was, he didn't conform to any single thing. Um, musically i mean he turned me on to so many different things that he yeah he was very much into uh oh like lou rawls and things like that loved soul music and blues music and st things like that uh 
I mean, really anything you can think of. He'd go see a Bee Gees concert. He was into really music in general. And uh, he was a force to be reckoned with because he was at his funeral. Um, Carrie Lipwood's daughter said that what she loved about Ronnie, he was so unapologetically himself at all times. And that really nailed it. it you know, that was Robbie. What um, you, he was part of that, um, you know, it was that those diverse musical tastes, you know, that's also so part of um, Kansas as well. And I think you used the word in one interview tapestry, kind of charting your own course, telling your own story. And was that a huge part of it? And putting, you know, obviously his violin or fiddle and and the guitars and the keyboards and all these things together. Was that part of um what made Kansas work is you guys, the band itself, you guys were unapologetically Kansas and you were fearlessly you as a, as a unit. Did, was, was that a huge part of that too? Yeah. Um, well, and there were some people that kind of gave us a glimpse into that. Like we're all Jethro Tull fans and how much the flute played a part. And the, 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 you know, it added such a, unique orchestration you know when you're working with the violin and you're not using you know as a fiddle part um it really opens it up to start creating sections like me and robbie and a so and a synthesizer would create a like a string section type of thing but with a different sound because it wasn't all strings we, it just made it the arrangements a lot more musical um, with just a bit more of a classical approach. When uh, people are trying to pigeonhole bands and stuff, it was before prog was even a, a word. Um, or there was a reviewer that described us in a way, and he wasn't really a fan, but he didn't know what to class, how to classify us. And he called us classic rock or classical rock, you know, before classic rock was even classic. And I thought classical rock, that kind of makes sense because of the way we would orchestrate in more of a, the approach of a symphony and sections rather than the way the kinks would do it. Mm. But underneath, we were still a rock band with a kinks approach <laughs> you know heavy-handed gritty guitars um nobody laying back but with a whole different song approach did you did you go with with uh initially did you go with the violin parts is that what was written or did you did you write stuff on the guitar first or piano well, and go around and go around that that way well it was it was Carrie and Steve were bringing in most of the material. Um, nobody had a multi-track recorder then. Uh, it would just be, like, say, take the wall. Uh, we're in rehearsals to record the album. Um, and Carrie just sat at an upright piano and wrote the song one night. <laughs> mm. And he shows up and, and just had it recorded on a reel-to-reel -reel of just that and the rest of the parts were in his head um and then we would start running all this through the kansas meat grinder where it's like okay what if we do this i'm not gonna play anything here let's leave that just piano say and we start twisting it and turning it into, into something and you know care would have a lot of the di different textured parts in his head so you wrote this last night. <laughs> oh wow! Mm -hmm. And all, and most of the stuff is he brings in is is in his head. Um, it was a, an amazing creative time that really relied on everyone's input to twist and turn it into what would become the final output. Yeah. Even in uh in we all started off playing in like. Yeah, in high school playing school dances etc and then you're in the bars and you're playing all the, the songs that the bar owners are requiring you to play you know the, the songs of the radio at the time 
as we got a bit older, you know, pre-Kansas, and we're all in different bands, uh, you start getting tired of doing that. And then as basically this unit got together, it's like we're still playing the bars and you had to play certain material. But it's like, oh, crap, I don't want to play that song. That, you know, and so, well, the, it's kind of required to play here. So we would, mm -hmm. well, I hate the beginning. So we would write our own beginning and maybe we would do it the song halftime or double time, or we would add a whole middle section to it or remove the middle section and all together. And you know, in hindsight, even with other people's material, when I look back, what we were really learning to do at that time was to be ourselves. Mm. Um, here's what we don't like. Here's what we do like. And so we would start making those changes. And that kind of came naturally as songs were brought into the band. You know, as uh, sometimes the song would come in, as very little arrangement would be done. And sometimes a lot would be. But we always, and it, it was went fairly smooth and we were kind of brutal on each other. Um, a songwriter brings the song in and we start laughing at the lyric and just, <laughs> you know, this part sucks and all that. It's it. But, but, you know, we were young yeah. guys and uh, we made it work. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it, it, you know, the camaraderie of, of, us, of us all. And we all wanted to do the, basically the same thing. It was unspoken that we wanted to do original music, but we didn't want to follow a trend. We wanted to just simply being uh, influenced by the explosion of what is now called progressive music of the, of the 60s and 70s. That showed us that you could work, we'd been working within a box and just remove the box and there are no rules. You know. You know, don't worry about time signatures, but odd chord changes, you know, anything. Lyrical content could be a lot more meaningful about anything you wanted, not singing for the radio. Um, and that's what I think brought us all together was just the unspoken word that we want to be an original, original band doing things our way. And that's what we did. Um, I think the hardest times we ever had was a record company telling, telling us what they needed right. well we got we don't hear anything for the radio guys and so we'd have to try to manufacture things and you know that was that was difficult because it just created tension we didn't really ever respond that well yeah. <laughs> like uh wayward son that was that song was brought in at the last moment of uh the last day of rehearsal before we went to record and that was you know a monstrous hit over 40 years plus yeah. um but it wasn't it was not l like a pop song of the time it just happened to strike a chord with the universe in a in, the, in a great way um we, we got accused of kind of selling out like selling out uh, tell me who this sounds like in that time, who are we copying? Nobody. Who are we yeah. mimicking? You know, but that—that that was just kind of we were. We had nothing to prove except to ourselves that we could do it our way, and and keep doing it. Our biggest dream was to get to make a record, and you know, fifty years later, and we're talking about the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, um, awesome. <laughs> we've stuck with the horse we rode in on, and just. We created a very loyal fan base yeah. in doing that. Why would we? Why would you change now? Um, you were talking about at times, like I guess pressure from the record company. I, I forget your exact words, but like you know, when when the there's that sort of you know fit into this radio box or that sort of thing. Did that happen more in the '80s? Because I know, I mean, you know, John Avafante came in. It was a different sound, maybe more of a pop radio sound like going into drastic measures audio visions drastic measures and then you know power and the spirit of things and i i love all the kansas stuff but i wonder like um did, did was that when that kind of started to happen a little bit because the sound was changing and the industry was changing yes it was uh as i equate it to like a shoe salesman 
where they don't really care if it is a good looking shoe or it's butt ugly. <laughs> but if this is the new trend of shoe, then we want to get on board with it. <laughs> and you are the creator of the shoe, so make this shoe. Mm. Um, we didn't like that approach um, of following the, the ever winding evolution of pop radio. That that was never <laughs> what we were about. We were very fortunate a few times in doing it our way and and having some some hit songs out of it. But it was never uh, that pressure didn't come within you know, to do that. It always came externally. Gotcha. Uh, I have a fan question here from a guy, uh, Bob Keeling. He's actually from Kansas. He wanted to know, uh, were you with the guys in White Clover when they opened for the doors in 1970? No, I was not. I was in college at that time. Uh, <laughs> uh, in uh, 1969, uh, late 69, early 70, I was in a, a White Clover. And we were, pl- we were living in New Orleans, playing in the French Quarter. And that was my really my first time away from home. You know, I was 19 years old. Mm. And living in a band house in a strange, in, you know, New Orleans at that time was nothing like living in Topeka, Kansas. It, it was quite a cultural change. And it was, uh, we had no money. And it was a lot of hard work. It was a great time. But, and with a, I had a kind of a nasty drug experience at that time by accidentally eating a 10-way hit of Mardi Gras acid that Ooh. blew my head off literally for about 10 years. Wow. Um, flashbacks and things. I came limping back and went back into school. Um, you know, following what my parents thought I should do. Um, but it wasn't long when I started playing in, in other bands and school started, you know, I would do a semester, then second semester, I would start playing in a band and I'd fail that semester. And then I'd get back in. It, so I did that ping pong back and forth. Then I rejoined a White Clover. Uh, you know, it's a very confusing time of even trying to tell the story yeah um but so in 1970 that was a a different version um it was a white club was a melting pot there was a version before the one i was in that phil was in uh yeah it's uh that was my okay it's time to get serious about life rich and go back to school and be responsible and get a real job. Um, So, no, I I was not there for that last uh, Jim Morris concert. Mm. Um, Quite a story, though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, that twin guitar, I mean, I I don't know, maybe twin guitar is not the word, but it feels like that sometimes. But you and and Carrie, I mean, what was it like, um, you know, playing with Carrie, uh, I know you said kind of he, he and Steve brought in the bulk of the material, but what was it like kind of tuning in with him and becoming really, I think, part of a very signature guitar duo there? Well, um, since Carrie also played keys, um, it made things very versatile where I would be the only guitar player sometimes, then we would, uh, now we got two. Sometimes we would double apart. Sometimes we would go off and, and play uh, an actual structured harmonic thing together. Um, it was it was great. Um, I think at the time we were probably, people would say, who are your influences? would ask me or Carrie. And at the time we were probably each other's biggest influence because we were playing together all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that's included in those influencers. Like you're hanging around the music store. Um, you're trying out new equipment. 
you're trying new little stomp boxes and, and new guitars and all of that. You're in rehearsals and going, wow, how, you know, how did you do that? And, you know, wow, if you plug this into the front end of it and crank this here and that, and oh, so we were kind of copying each other along the way because of the, the influence. And in just trying to create something and not have, having too big of an ego to, uh, I would say, point of no return. It's, you know, that song came in, I go, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't, it doesn't really need me. It's such a keyboard and violin song. So the, the only time I'm playing is the, the B section, your mother, I'm playing, I'm going whack it, whack it on an acoustic. And in the verses, there's an almost undefinable sounding instrument. And it's me playing a very clean guitar, um, note by note, triads, just following the chord pattern of the verse. Mm. But it was like, I don't need to be playing all of the time in every song. Um, and we were pretty good at that, at that time of not stepping on one another's toes. Mm. Yeah. What, uh, what was the, the first record you ever bought, Richard? <laughs> um, two. Um, the, the first, <laughs> first record I bought and then the first album I bought. The first record I bought was The Twist by Chubby Checker. Um, Philadelphia. <laughs> yes. It, it just started off. <laughs> really cool rock and roll aggressive and he was so charismatic and then that nasty sax solo you know and it just and of course the twist and chubby checker ignited the united states i remember i'm embarrassed as i say this but i asked my older sister to teach me how to do the twist <laughs> <laughs> oh got it I wish I had a video of that. I would watch it once and burn it so no one had ever seen it. <laughs> um, that was my, my very first single. My first album. I, you know, uh, more embarrassing uh, would, was the first Herman's Hermits album because uh, of Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter. I mean, that was, I was in junior high and that song was number one on the on the, all the radio stations in Topeka, and kids were walking around the junior high singing it. Uh, I met Peter Noon about three or four years ago, and I told him the story. He got a big kick out of that. A lovely guy. I mean, he was such a genuinely great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that's those first records are always amazing. Um, and what you and then how it just builds from there, you know, like you know your your own musical journey, how it builds from there. Um, what do you make of the legacy of like? I mean, Dust in the Wind was you know just the pinnacle. I mean, you know, well, there's so many, there's so many pinnacles really with Kansas. But what do you make of just how some of these how songs can exist in theater and movies and you know just pop culture? Uh, I mean, does that blow your mind? Yeah, it really does. Um, when Kerry brought Dust in the Wind, it was, you know, similar to Wayward Son, last song. Well, this was, we're now working on the Point of Return album. And he brings that song in, and he just had it recorded again on a two track. And he goes, ah, I've got this other thing just to throw in the pile. Mm. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just an acoustic song. And we don't do anything like this, but I just thought I'd add it to the pile of other songs that we're working on. And so he turned on the tape machine and just a real rudimentary recording of him playing the chords. And he's holding a lyric sheet and Steve's, you know, they're standing next to him as they're looking at it. And it's, Terry's not a vocalist. Then he's kind of singing in falsetto, the, the rough melody. And he finished I think it was Dave Hope that said, where did that come from? Mm. And you guys like it? And I said, 
that's our net, next hit. Wow. And Terry's going, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, we, he- we heard that song in its rawest form and heard the greatness of what Kerry had written in, at that moment. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably one of the most important songs uh, in our lifetime, really. I mean, listening to the lyrics of that song, I mean, I'm not blowing smoke here. That, that's a mind-bending song. If, if you sit down as a kid or even as an adult and you hear that, it, it just blows you away. Yeah. Uh, again, and, and that was another one, you know, where our contemporaries were accusing us of selling out. So, wait a minute. So, yeah. what trend are we following now? Um, Peter, Paul, and Mary? I mean, I'm not really... <laughs> right, yeah, to, yeah. You know, I, what, what are we mimicking here? You know, tell me. And that, that was a hit worldwide. It was um, across, it was, you know, a minor country hit. It was across all genres. Uh, you know, AM, FM, uh, everywhere. It was, one, you know, to create a timeless song that fits it today just as well as it did when it came out is a rare thing to happen for anybody and we were fortunate with like wayward son of dust to have done that you know and i think dust even more so that could be you know anybody's grandmother would like that song and and yeah <laughs> you know it's just it it uh terry had a, many moments of brilliance that just came to him yeah. When you uh, so when you said, "Wow, that's our next hit," did that influence, or did you get nervous when you were about to sit down and and, and play your part on that, or just you know, because would that kind of affect how you approach it yourself? Because you 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 have that instinct. You're like, okay, you feel like this is going to be huge. Well, then it was just uh, okay. Well, I've got we've got work to do, so let's yeah you know, we start recording. But we were in studio in the country. In Louisiana, and we we're having some issues with equipment breakdown there. So we had moved up to Woodland Studio in Nashville. Mm. And most of the tracks were done, but we hadn't started on Wayward Sun yet. And so any acoustic parts that I had previously played, which hadn't been that much, um, I was doing with a metal finger, like a, because I had a banjo I messed around with. So I was using metal finger picks and a thumb pick Mm. and so i learned to play that song that way um so we get in this in the studio and recording and of course at that time using you know even at the time in the like studio c that we were in it was like an old much older recording 16 track i think for that one uh you couldn't do punch-ins uh, you just hear a big pop. So everything had to be recorded from beginning to end. Mm. Um, and so there, I, that's two tracks of guitars done. And then I did what's called a Nashville tuning or, or high strung, which is only the high strings of a 12 string put on the same guitar. Mm. And it adds this chiming uh, thing on t- layer on top. There was a nylon string was done. And so it, that took all day to get all those parts from beginning to end without any mistakes. And there was many times I'd get to the finish line and choke mm. <laughs> as you're yeah. recording. Uh, but, you know, finally got it done. Um, what happens when you, when you work all day on something is everyone gets ear fatigue. Yeah. And there's th- certain things you don't hear. Um, so I come in the next morning and everybody's head's going to hang it. And I thought, oh, crap. Because there had been a <laughs> few instances in our past where the, the machine would get dumped into record and it would erase. It, 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 it did stop it. And all of a sudden we got a three second area where it's been erased. Oh, no. And they just have to you know, make copies and splicing and try to repair. And I thought, oh, crap, it got erased. And I said, no, 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 I'll just sit here and listen. So I sat down and it's like, oh man, it's nice and crisp and clear and sounds really 
what is that? And in the background was this constant clicking sounding. And I started, the more I heard it, I couldn't unhear it. It sounded like Clydesdales, you know, a team of Clydesdales running down the street. And what it was was all those combined tracks of those metal picks mm. um, created this rhythmic, annoying, brittle sound that we didn't hear the night before. Yeah. So it's like, okay, erase it. Let's start over. So I had to re-record the next day. Mm. I'd never played with without finger picks as far as finger picking the guitar. My fingers were bleeding by the end of the second day, wow. <laughs> but I, we, I got it done. Um, so yeah. that's my memory of that song was, was two days wasted in the studio uh, and you got people standing around staring at you going, for fuck's sake, when's he going to be done with this? <laughs> um, you know, it's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. Um, the old ways of recording um, did force you to do things you didn't know you could do. <laughs> mm. Put it that way. Um, uh, then also, you know, in, at the same time, um, my my ex-wife was, because she was musical, Carrie asked her to write out uh, the middle section of the, you know, the back and forth violin part because mm. uh, it hadn't really been completed yet. And he wanted just to write it out because Robbie never played it before, so, but R Robbie was trained so he could read the sheet music. And so, you know, listening to that being later and stuff's like, wow, that's cool. Um, I wasn't there for the vocal tracks. So that was done in Los Angeles uh, where, the, where it was mixed. But to hear the, the whole thing come together, uh, again, and people staying out of the way, letting the song breathe on its own in the way it was intended and the way it was written. Uh, you know, thank God we didn't put drums to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can imagine that. Yeah, it's wow. Yeah, it's just brilliant. The uh, just just moving on. I don't want to move on. We could talk about this all day. Trust <laughs> I me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The, you, you guys, you, you guys did a new version of uh, "Can I Tell You?" Yes, an up, update. We listened to it last night. It's absolutely amazing. Fantastic. What are you are you guys working on on new music and can we expect what can we ex expect from you guys in 2023 is there going to be like a deluxe box set or something of your music like well Judas I, 23 yeah. is going to be this the fifth you know uh another fork in the road uh 50 years of kansas uh we are working on new material um there are three songs uh, two contenders for a new album uh, one of them was really fantastic I mean it was like I love it just the way it is and another one we're working on arrangement of um, and it's got a lot of possibilities so the plan is you know we are working on new material for you know another recording but next year is going to be filled with touring um, there will be writing going along throughout the year, but uh, it would be uh, 24 before we could probably get back in the studio. Yeah. But n again, no plans of not recording, no plans of stopping. Um, we're again, we we got our eyes on the horizon and are walking in that direction. Can we see Steve or John or maybe you know uh, anyone who's played in the early? years uh come up for a song you think uh something like that along the way um anybody's welcome hmm. i'll put i'll say that gotcha. uh, we have reached out to a few people and you know, that we're in some conversation of, of making appearances when they're around and stuff um steve what's when Steve's last show, but mm -hmm. you know, almost eight, a little over eight years ago, we finished. He walked out the back door, got in the car with his son, and left. And I told Trent Phil said, "We'll probably never see him again." Oh, well. And we haven't. Mm -hmm. Um, 
know, Carrie had a stroke. Yeah. And uh, just recovered well from it. But uh, a he doesn't really he doesn't want to travel and, and go out. He's comfortable at home on his farm. Uh, but again, welcome anywhere, anytime. And locally, you could very li- likely make an appearance. Uh, Dave Hope has come in, out at times and sat in with us. Uh, Billy Greer couldn't make a show once because of prior commitment, and and Dave came out and did the whole show. It was a great time. Yeah. Um, John Elefante, you know, we get up in the Nashville area. Yeah, I'd love to have him come out and do some, some songs with us. That would be fun. We're not closing the door to anybody on this. Maybe he wants to just come out and take a bow. I don't care. It'd be it'd be great. Uh, the more the merrier to be a part of this. Yeah. Fifty years, incredible. Yeah. So incredible. exciting time. Oh man. Yeah. Uh. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Richard or uh, Shane? I mean, oh, well, you were talking we about always... tell you. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, please. But we, we just wanted to, it's like, it'd be nice, the record company always wants maybe something new to, to add to it. And then we started to think, well, what if? Yeah, we, can I tell you, was the, the song this is before Carrie when he was even involved with the band. They got caught Don Kirshner's ear. Uh, it, was a, it was a song that White Clover had written, and without that song, you know, coming, you know, coming to the table, there would, probably wouldn't be a Kansas because that's really the, the only song he liked. There were six songs on the demo tape. He didn't know there was three on the back side. The first song was "Can I Tell You." Maybe wasn't too wild about the second two. So that that got our foot in the door. So probably one of our could be our most important song ever because without it we wouldn't be. So what a great bookend of that would be to recreate that song with the, with the new lineup in 2022, 2023. Yeah, and so that. That's how we approached it. Um, we uh, Phil went into a studio uh, that we work out of in Atlanta. Got the drum tracks done. I did all my guitar parts right where I'm sitting. Um, the marvels of modern technology. Uh, it's <laughs> of what you can Great. do. Our mm-hmm. uh, live sound engineer is a Berkeley grad that's been with us for years. He knows what we sound like more than anybody does. And he he basically produced that that project and tom brisland uh was one that co- coordinated all the recording stuff and gathered all that uh from everyone um wow. so the rest of us recorded at home and it was uh we and we wanted to know can we do this what would it be like to do this you know and not as a demo approach but as a serious approach to recording and it worked fantastic and we wanted to stay true to the original, but add a, you know, it's like, oh, good. I get a chance to play that guitar solo over and I, I play better now. So I'm going to, and I'm going to change it up a bit. So there was just a lot of little things in all of that that was made it a fun project. That's brilliant. It's so well done. I mean, just that's, that's awesome. Like you said, and bookends. It, and adding that song back into the song list it's fun it's it's uh it's a special song it's it's kind of a it's it's pre-kansas almost it's almost a different band uh and it's well compared to it's kind of simple compared to so many songs we do until we started recording it and going especially philly's going what was i thinking in these drum parts this is really hard (laughs) um and so it, it was to relearn a part of yourself in the process was uh, an un- unexpected perk. Yeah. 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 There's a lot, there's a lot going on in that song. <laughs> yeah. There's a yeah. lot happening. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's cool. Um, I, I had another uh, follow up. Oh, I think um, I, I was always curious about like, yeah. Do you have a couple more minutes or I, I know you're, I don't know what you're I, I can do one more. Okay. Um, I was always just, I was curious about that, that time, you know, I know Carrie 
when Carrie and I think Dave, I don't know if it was around the same time, but they they both became born again Christians, I think, right? How did that change? Because uh, that had changed the the mute the um, uh, material quite a bit, I imagine, right? How Carrie was writing um, was that a challenge? Uh, and how did you guys kind of uh, you know navigate that? Looking back, well, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. Um, the first change, you know, change is a thing in life that I think people resist by nature more than any single thing. Yeah. Um, change is tough. Um, so as first album, second album, third album, and we're, we're coming along, we're building up a fan base. We, we still hadn't broken through. We still owed Don Kirshner a fortune because mm. it's not a terrible record deal. And every penny spent on everything came out of our portion, which is a measly portion. But when Left Overture broke, that pretty much that paid off past debt. And we've been touring a lot. So we're now flush. But then, yeah, but the songwriters had been making money since record one. And so suddenly you've got the haves and the have-nots. And when what started off is six guys you know, on a pirate ship out conquering the world together, <clears throat> money changes everything. Everybody's seeing some money. Some people are seeing a lot of money. Some people don't want to work as hard. And say, well, you got yours. I'd like to get some of mine. Um, so th- those kind of arguments were coming along. Um, and, you know, being young guys, you know, egos were hurt, feelings were hurt, etc. But And, you know, that's just the business. Nothing was done wrong and correctly. People deserved what they got. But that started creating a tension that wasn't there before because that was never the intention of Kansas was the financial side of it. But again, money changes everything, including the, the people involved, especially. Well, <clears throat> and then Kerry had always been searching for something. And his, that was obvious in his lyrical content. But it was it was more of a wondering, and they, you know, well, Kerry found what he was looking for, and that's all he wanted to write about. After that, well, that's not what Kansas was about. Hmm. Meanwhile, David David was going through his own struggles with his personal life, and was inspired by Kerry. Also, you know, you have two born again Christians, and. Basically, it was their approach was you can't serve two masters. Either we will be a Christian band or we will go somewhere else. And our approach is well, we're not going to be a Christian band. That's never what that was never our manifest. That's not what we were ever going to be. Right. And so that <clears throat> that was the divide that split the original six. Mm. And <clears throat> we're all still great friends today. Uh, there was, at the time, younger man again. Uh, there was some disappointment, some anger, some what, just all that kind of things that come up with it. Change is painful, but those yeah. ch- change is necessary, yeah. and that original six had run its course. Um, it, you could never turn back the clock and do things the way we used to do. I mean, there. To their soul, their approach to life was in a bl- one burst changed forever. And so it, it, we had to accept that change and all go our se- separate ways. And Phil and I have gotten really used to change now to where it's like, still don't want to see it. But when it comes, it's like, okay, what, what's the plan? Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Look, well, wait a minute, what, what if? And we're, we just take the next step forward again. Yeah, That's you know, the way to always, be. Yeah, no, I was always curious about that. I know that was, um, yeah, like a, a major turning point. Wow. Well, Rich Williams, um, this is amazing. Thank you for for th- another fork in the road. Um, 
for this. Well, thanks to the, the label for doing this. And, and, and we're so glad when labels are fans as they should be, that's the best thing, you know? Oh, that's um, right. <laughs> we, we've never been happier with a yeah. record label yeah. than Thomas Weber and, and Inside Out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he's such a fan. You guys, you want to do another album right now, next year, five years? I'm there. Um, he's, I've never been seeing a guy that it, that it's so supportive of his artist as Thomas, you know, it's, it's, you know, he is the way it should be. Absolutely. Richard Williams of Kansas, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Truly appreciate you. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Yeah.